Hey, hey! Welcome back to Babu's Frickin' Podcast, your non-toxic Star Wars podcast from a galaxy far, far away. I am Mike Kiati Ruby, joined as always on the Jedi Council by Grand Moff Mark Valentine. It's it's the rule of two again, my friend. Brian Joyazali's not with us, so we're uh, we're riding Sith. It is. Uh, Brian is going to be in another galaxy for a few weeks' time. Uh, he's got some big stuff that's going on in his life. I'm not breaking that news in the podcast, but he's got some really amazing changes that are going on in his life. So it will be the rule of two here for uh, a while. But I don't know how much. Con- so we've got what coming up? We've got Bad Batch coming back up. We've got so much coming up. So, you know, this is our second episode in a row with uh, with just two of us here. You were you were out dealing with a uh, a cash and andor oh, level three leak. God, yes. When we record when we recorded uh, Tales of the Jedi. So glad glad to see that. Uh, unlike Kino Loy, you can swim. You are above water. <laughs> yes. Um, yes. But yeah, no. Brian and I talked about it the last time uh, there was casting news for the acolyte which we were super excited about and then we've got bad batch season two coming and and the very next thing is we've got uh mandalorian season three it's time to get back to the mandoverse and then we got ahsoka later in the year as well so there's there's plenty of good star wars content coming what are you what are you excited for i keep forgetting that we have the mandalorian coming in january february that's that's a nice surprise. I'm very excited for that. I, I was like, oh, I totally forgot until you mentioned that. Uh, Acolyte looks really cool. Uh, I mean, it's got the answer has to be The Mandalorian, right? Season three of The Mandalorian. I think Ahsoka is going to be great. Um, in the headlines, there was a little scuttlebutt right now about uh, the Star Wars and the executive leadership right now of Kathleen Kennedy. We've talked about on the star, on the Disney end of everything. Obviously, there's been a big shakeup at the top over there with Bob Chapek stepping down, Bob Iger, who brought Star Wars into the Disney fold. Um, but then there, because of that, there's been a lot of discussions. Does Kathleen Kennedy get shown the door before or after Indiana Jones? Because there is a lot of, um, let's just say the narrative is strong with this one, Mike, that there is no <laughs> Star Wars it's notably absent from the big screen, and a lot of people have blamed Kathleen Kennedy for that failure, uh, and so that's kind of the big news off-screen for Star Wars, and when you're not talking about content, is will Kathleen Kennedy survive the uh, the year? These these people, these talking people, in, in, in the words of the of the robot chickens version of the Emperor, who's they? Who's they? They keep saying, like, who are these people? I... It's all it's all kind of garbage. Let let that swirl no. outside of our galaxy. I mean, I think you know, it's 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 intentional that Star Wars is not on the big screen for a little while. We had, I wouldn't say oversaturation because, as you and I have always said, any Star Wars is you know we lived through a Star Warsless era. Yeah. So you know we we don't need to go back to that. But after Rise of Skywalker, which not the great. universe knows how we feel about yeah, that. Not great. After Last Jedi, which I love to pieces, you've come around on, but there's still a lot of debate. And there was Solo, which you and I both like very much, but also was kind of mixed. There's, there was a lot of Star Wars crammed in over a couple of year period. And I think they're they're letting it breathe rather than rushing a new title to the screen. And so it, I'm personally all good with waiting for the Taika Waititi film that comes out in a couple of years 
and let us keep living the brilliance that is episodic Star Wars television because Andor has reached the pinnacle. Well, I do think that Andor was a really strong entrant into the Star Wars canon, but I mean, there's a lot of things that are not making it out of really the pre-production stage. Like uh, Patty Jenkins' Rogue One is looking like that's DOA. You had the two gentlemen who were crossing over from the Game of Thrones universe. Can't remember their names right now, but they had a project that was scrapped. Uh, Taika Watiti's project has now been in discussion for at least a year and a half, and we have no movement on that. So, Ryan, Ryan Johnson's trilogy, which got kind of shelved after the mixed reaction correct. to Last Jedi. Yeah, and so, Fools, for th- so he's off doing his Knives Out trilogy. Yeah, well, hey, I haven't seen Knives Out. I didn't see it on the big screen, but of course it'll be coming over to Netflix. And when it does, I'm all over that, buddy. Did so, you, uh, you've seen the first Knives Out, though, right? I did, and I loved it. It was really it's good. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah I mean, no, I, I, I told you, like, we've we've litigated this on air. I, I have come around on The Last Jedi, and it probably is, again, blasphemy for many of the people that may listen to us, but of that trilogy, it probably is the strongest and the longest-lasting entrant into that trilogy for me. So Yeah, well, I mean, we, we, we ranked our, our Star Wars movies in, in a much earlier episode of Bob's Frickin' Podcast, and it's, it's, it's high on the list for me. It's getting up there. I mean, it, it, it's growing on me. And the more that you're starting to see other Jedi and their stories the more the end of Luke Skywalker's life is sitting, it's sitting well with me. The biggest thing that I had with that movie, it had nothing to do with Canto Bite. The biggest problem that I always had with that movie was, I don't think it matched my expectations of where Luke wound up at the end of his journey, of the hero's journey. But now seeing the end of, oh, we, we've seen Obi-Wan, we've seen what happens to Yoda. It's starting to make a lot more sense and it just, it sits well. It's it's aging well, well man. And well, and it, it's like a fine wine. Well, you it know, is. I, I think the fine. Oh, I, I think the, uh, the the winemakers at Lucasfilm are having an impact on that. Filoni and Favreau, the uh, the 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 awesome twosome, they have done so much to help enrich things by bringing Luke back in the Mandoverse, which I think we're getting a best of both worlds now. Yes, which is really cool. Um, but speaking of speaking of lists, you know, let's get into the the the, the subject for this episode, where we are going to look at the second half of Andor season one. So we're gonna we're gonna tackle episodes uh, eight through twelve. We covered the first seven because we we could we couldn't skip seven because it was so good when we when we got together so good uh, with Brian a couple weeks back. People are are because people insist on making lists of things. They're 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 making their their orders for the best Star Wars television shows, and I'm going to be the first person to say that I was so wrong about not wanting this series earlier on. Like before we ever got into this, I was like, I don't need Andor. What what what, what do I need Andor for? What's this all about? This is about so much more than just the character of Cash and Andor. He just happens to be the linchpin. This is about the formation of the rebellion and why the fight is so important. Aside from, you know, at a at a Jedi mega family level of the galaxy, this is all of what foments underneath. Yes. This show was 
freaking amazing. And the first three episodes, you know, we talked about how it was slow getting in and they didn't know how to end an episode. I still believe that. I still think they may have ended those better. But the time that they took to build each of these individual characters, to build each of these plot lines, all came together in the final episode, in the last couple episodes, but especially in the finale, in a, in a way that it made Star Wars feel more important, more relevant, more exciting, more emotional than anything. And I, I, I messaged you and Brian after I watched the finale. I was more emotionally captured by this episode and, and invested in it and feeling something in this than anything since Luke Skywalker's return at the end of Mando season two, which was, I think just because that's my heart. I, that's my character. I'm in love. This was something entirely original that captured my imagination and brought me in, in a way that nothing has been able to do in star Wars in a very long time. Yeah, this is the, this is the why we fight for the rebellion. So projects that's, like you nailed it. Yeah. Projects like Andor, projects like rogue one, it grounds the struggle on a very on a ground level so I, I mean in the skywalker saga is amazing i mean you cannot have star wars without lightsabers it very is it's very much as star wars is always built into the canon of the force and it always circles around the force but there are non-force users in this struggle and by and large they have been ignored i mean they, you you get them but they are not they're not the driving force of the narrative so projects like this make it so fun. It's great to see people like Luthen. It's great to see diplomats like Mon Mothma struggling and all the espionage and the behind-the-scenes stuff that's going on for this struggle. I love, like, even the manifestos that we get from this. And this is, again, this is the why we fight. For most rebels, they're not caught up in it for the force. They're not, to them, the balance of the force is irrelevant. This is about improving their lives and the lives of people across the galaxy. So I like when we can sort of pull back a little bit from Skywalker and that family and that bloodline and get down on this level and get gritty. It's what made Rogue One so amazing is it was just so real and so visceral when they're like storming the beaches of Scarif. The same thing on Ferric. Uh, no, not not Ferrick. Um, Ferrick, thank you. Oh. It's it's really cool to see those ordinary people organize that street fight in the last episode. Like it was, I, I I was enraptured with every detail of that. Like even the guy standing in the bell tower, ringing the signal to get like the troops to muster. And they they send the guy up to get him. Pulling a Han Solo on life. Yeah, day. but wasn't that what? Wasn't that just one of like the most satisfying moments of any Star Wars series? Oh where, my god! Yeah, when he kicked the star, the, he kicks the stormtrooper yeah, take, out of the bell tower. I just like I channeled Chappelle show. It's like take one more step, and I'm kicking this dude out the window. That that's <laughs> well, it was just highly satisfying to see that guy get yeeted right out of the tower. But it is but they, they, they the stakes. I mean, the thing that we talked about from the beginning of the series was how do we get stakes when we know that the title character is going to continue to survive all the way through to the end because we, we know where he's going to get to. I cared as much about each individual nameless character on Ferrix that took a blaster shot from a stormtrooper yes. as I did of any named character in some of these other movies, if not more so, which blew me away that I cared more about 
these innocent people who were standing up for themselves because of how they built this story. I cared more about them than honestly some of the named characters in Rise of Skywalker. Well, when the storytelling is great and the character development is great, and what I loved about this series was, and I understand there were, it's not for everybody. Some people are like, man, it was a little way too slow for me. But they made a conscious decision to really write these characters well and to take their time with character development. When you care about the characters, you're going to have stakes because we don't know if some of these people may... Like, we're just assuming that by the time of, like, uh, the Battle of Yavin that they're gone. They may not be gone. They just might not have played a, a bigger role in the narrative for the Skywalker saga. But, like, the rise of Skywalker, I know you're not a fan of it, the great thing about the rise of Skywalker is it also lends us the concept of you don't know, like the ghost could just show up in the Armada at the end. Just because we haven't seen some of those heroes and like maybe Hera Syndulla wasn't a big part of the narrative at that point. Maybe she was on a separate mission, but it where the rise of Skywalker excels is giving us the idea that they may have still been around, but it's a big galaxy. They might've been fighting somewhere else. So to that end, unless we see them die on screen, there's a good chance that they are off the, doing something important. And so there, the are, only, there are stakes. Yeah, yeah the, the only characters in this entire series, and, and some of them got introduced without us expecting them, the only characters that we saw in Andor who we know absolutely have to survive, at least as far as Rogue One, are Mon Mothma, yes. in Andor, yep. and thank heavens we met Melshi. We got we got yeah. Melshi, who also fights on the beach of Scarif, and we found out turned to join the rebellion at the same point that Cashin did because they were both prisoners on Narkina Five. But of the people that we've seen in this series, there's only a few that we know their fate. We know that Melshi's going to die on the beaches of Scarif. We know right. that Cassian. Oh, and I'm sorry. Yeah, and I'm sorry. We also know what's going to happen uh, with. We know that Saul. Oh we know that Saul Guerrero. Saul Guerrero. Thank you. I'm seeing his face, and I'm like Forrest Whitaker knows him. Yep, Saul Guerrero. I, and I was just going to say, we know that Saul Guerrero is going to die as well in Jeddah. So there's a few characters of this that we know their untimely demise. We know what's going to happen to them. But by and large, this ensemble cast, their story is unwritten. We can assume that Axis or Luthen is going to be killed, but that does not have to be guaranteed. Bix doesn't have to die. Like. This show has introduced us to characters to care about, but also their fate is not predetermined. So I love where this story is going. There's tons of stakes for everyone that's not named Cassian Andor. We know where Cassian's going to end up, but it's also great to see his development in the Rebellion. And I'm loving the parallels between he and Jin. Um, that, like, even the holograms where it took the holograms, we got the hologram from her father, from Galen, right before Jeddah gets destroyed, and then you get the same hologram from his mother, from Marva, that those messages, the last time they really see both of their parents, are in holograms, and those are the messages that kind of launch them into, like, full-blown, hey, I'm a, I'm a rebel now. I'm loving the parallels, and even the beach stuff that we're seeing. Um, it's great. Listen, there it's a beautiful it's a beautiful series. It's a beautiful series. It's Star Wars for adults. We've been clamoring for a more adult story for how long now and we finally got it. So people better shut their mouths and stop complaining cuz it's the best Star Wars I think we've gotten and uh hot take man, you ready for this one? 
I well, we don't we don't have Brian's uh, we don't have Brian's sound effect, so we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna. <laughs> We're uh, gonna, we're gonna go for the hot take, but it's gonna be it's gonna be without SFX. It's better than Mando. It's the best Ooh. Star Wars television we've gotten. I know, I know. Hot take that that is a hot take. You know what i I am going to not. I'm not. Uh, you don't have anyway. to join me. Yeah, you don't have no. to. No. <laughs> well, well, here's the thing. Well, I think they're two very different types of series. You're right. They are. and I think so. I think that you know. I think on the one hand. There are things about it that are, quote unquote, better. I think that the the storytelling and the way that it is bolted together and the level of depth and character development and intrigue, like there's stuff that's there that just goes so much deeper, that's so much more interesting and where I, yes, I will agree. It's also meant to be a longer form story. It's less, you know... It's less moment based, you know, so much of what is taking place in Mando is old school cowboy Western episodic television where you're looking for like, what's the big thing that happens at that episode? Yeah, this wasn't episodic. No. And this isn't doing fan service. You know, I think one of the things that's that we've loved about Mando is that Mando has been both breaking new ground as well as doing fan service. And I think that what's been really nice about Andor is that there are mudhorn eggs as we call them. There are Easter eggs. There yeah. are little things that pop up and it is very much of the star Wars DNA, but it's not like they're having big reveal moments where you suddenly go, Oh my gosh, it's a Naboo starfighter. Oh my gosh. They're dropping a depth charge. Like in episode two. Oh my God. Like, it's not the same types of reveals except for the tragic credit sequence, the credit scene, uh, post credit scene where it's, you know, I they, hated they, that. they reveal. I hated that by the way. I hate You that. knew it was coming. I we'll come back to that a little later yes. in the episode, but um, so I think, it's, I think it's hard to compare them because I think they're two very different types of shows. I think it's like trying to compare Mad Men or the West Wing to Game of Thrones. And that's right? fair. The moments where your jaw hits the floor, it's not like the Darksaber comes out. It's a dialogue although, or a moment in this. Although this has those two. It like does. The thing, the thing that is, like, for as much as, like, folks may say, oh, this is talkier, this is, like, there's still Star Wars going on here, and the moments that they choose for them are truly amazing. So yes. we, we talked about um, Aldani and the escape when the last time the three of us were together, the back half of the season had several very Star Warsian moments. Um, one, which I think we need to talk about for a minute, is is the Narkina Five uh, escape, so the the prison break. Yeah, and then another for sure. It is probably the most Star Warsian Star Wars moment in the entire twelve episodes of the series. Is Luthen's Starcraft yes. taking out? a squadron of TIE fighters and quasi making canon the Star Wars vision cartoon where lightsaber blades came out the side of a starship. Yeah, so I think I think those three episodes are probably three of the best entrants into any kind of Star Wars movie, film, television show like ever. Only, like, uh, was called Only Way Out was the episode the escape, the escape from Narcan. One Way Out. One Way Out. 
was one of the best episodes I think we've ever seen. That was filled with suspense. The visuals of that were great. The tempo of that was awesome. Just give me more Andy Circus in anything. Like Homeboy, oh. I hope I hope Homeboy got a set of floaties, made the jump. I need to see more of this character. You're, in the you're Star telling Wars me there are, no, there are no space water wings? Like they they like I don't know, man. I am praying to God that he found a way off of of that like prison and got out of that prison because so he's yeah. Awesome. I mean, so the the one way out episode. So the thing that was amazing is we have been kind of trained the way that the other Star Wars episodic television has been that it's like one episode per story beat, right? Yes. And then we saw that they took three episodes have the payoff for Aldani and they took three episodes. I mean, really took their time took over their three time. episodes yeah. to establish the Narkina five prison break where episode one is Cassian's in the J in the prison. We understand what it means to be um, on system. We see what, it, you know, what, what, you know, what their process is, how they let in new prisoners, what their work is every day. They establish Kino Loy, Andy Circus's character as the pit boss. He's the he's the the shift manager mm-hmm. who's working because he's going to get his release. He feels like he's going to do his time, and we see over the course of those three episodes, we see his entire arc as he goes from the good prisoner to realizing I'm never going to get out of here because they learn that that well, entire building, floor yes was me- well, they well that they all got that you know the, there was a massacre on the entire other floor because they learned that everybody was just getting cycled through. No one was ever getting off the no one was ever getting out of the prison, and they couldn't get through. So, and you couldn't leave. The reason you couldn't leave was you were building a top secret weapon. You're building components for the Death Star, which is right. why you're never getting out of there. By the way, which no, is, they were never they were never leaving. And so to see him go from the good worker to then leading the the prison, right? I mean. Notice how it's not Cash and Andor getting on the microphone and telling everyone that they need to escape. It is a motivational speech from Kino Loy telling people one way out, climb, go. And then that heartbreaking moment we've just been talking about where he doesn't have water wings, they they get out to the edge and they all have to jump he was never, to their yeah. freedom in the ocean. And it never even occurred to him, you know, they're on a water planet, it never even occurred to him that he's going to have to go. And it's the most heartbreaking line. And I, I, I saw an interview. They recorded they, they They filmed him saying it a number of different ways. He, he laughs. It's almost like the bitter irony of it is that he gets there. It's like, I've led this escape. I've committed. And when he gets there and Cash is like, come on, we got to go. And he, he just looks at Cash and, and he smiles. It's so heartbreaking. I'm going to cry. He smiles. and He goes, I can't swim. I can't swim. Yeah. <laughs> so there's, there's two ways that you oh. can take that. Either the irony of he now realizes, like, I've gone through all this and, like, I, this is the farthest I can go. Or I've also seen people to say the opposite of that, which he knew the entire time that he could not get off. And in oh, spite of justice, oh. I know. And in spite of that, that makes it even more poetic that he knew that he wasn't going to reach the promised land. But in spite of that, he still does all of this for other people that makes it beautiful. Like then it goes from ironic to this beautiful thing of 
the selfless act from him to get everyone oh, off man. of Narkina. But man, this show is, that's what I love about the show is there's just so many layers to it. The way this show was written is just, a, it's a master, it's a master class in writing for Star Wars. And we need more people to like drink from the wellspring of Andor. Book of Boba Fett had some similar episodes that we said, like that train episode. Wow, was that the train the, episode is still yes that that episode freaking amazing. is still, that's funny. I was just thinking about that. You know, relative, you were like, oh, this this the you know the the Narkina Five Escape is the best Star Wars episode ever, and I'm like, that show is written so badly though. But that show is written I, so badly. I, yeah, but you know what? Episode two of of Book of Boba Fett is still pretty freaking fantastic. It for is all the other things that fell short on it. Like, well, okay, yeah. so. Well, so, Book of Boba Fett was what? Six episodes, right? Yes. <laughs> so you've got episode two. We talked about that. Amazing. Then you've got the two Mando episodes. So three, three of the episodes were bonkers good, but had nothing to do with. And then the other three were directed by Robert. And Robert, who's your one of your and my favorites. We love Robert Rodriguez. And the writing was just so bad. You should like we need to drink from the wellspring of Andor. If if Robert, if you're gonna write for Star Wars in the future, look at what's going on here because the dialogue in the show and just the concepts. Well, of the to show be fair, so well to be fair, I don't know. That, I don't know that he wrote those. He definitely directed directed them. them. I have to go and look at the writing credits for them. But man, they were but they were brutal. <laughs> they it was funky. Bad. They were bad. It was funky. Um, so can we talk about Luthen for a minute? Speaking of good I writing, to, I was just about to go there. Like Luthen is, he started off being kind of like a, whatever he's in the shadows. He's oh, I was always, by, okay. Like, Cause I was always like, in on I, him. Well, I, I mean, I always liked him and we talked last time about, you know, how he wigs up and he's suddenly two different people and he's really interesting. But the back half of this series has made him one of my favorite characters. And I, it's really interesting in that he is, he is a gray character bordering on being a dark character, zealously trying to do the right thing. But he even says it in his monologue, which is some of the, it, it's maybe the best monologue ever in star Wars. Um, he has to use his enemy's weapons in order to defeat them, which means he needs to, he needs to basically embrace the dark side to get there. He is such a, a nuanced character. We have no idea why he's doing what he's doing, but he, he is as much as cash and is the, the spark that lights the flame of the rebellion. He's the inciting incident that first starts bringing it all together. It's Luthen, you know, who is, the mastermind that is bringing together all of these pieces. That dialogue is some of the best written dialogue in the history of star Wars. And it's just beautiful that you realize that for so many of these people talking about like, you know, the, the, they, they are the spark and they will never, you know, they're, they're very self-aware that they will never see the payoff of a lot of this. And, you know, they're basically like they're mortgaging their lives to pay for a future that they will never see. And in that moment, Luthen goes, I think, to the he he comes from a character that was like, wow, he's like really well done to probably an all time legendary rebel. Because in that moment, 
you you understand again we talked about this earlier the sacrifice that a lot of these very ordinary people that they gave for the betterment of of the galaxy and Luthen appears to be like just the same thing as Mon Mothma, someone who was very well to do, someone who had a very affluent life, someone who could have looked the other way and had and could have said like, "Listen, I'm going to do well under the empire. I have the the right sort of DNA that I'm going to do okay under this new system." And I am really sorry for all of the struggles that the rest of y'all are going through, but like. I'm going to keep my head down and I'm just going to keep on keeping on and I'm going to be all right. Like I'll make it through the other end. But Luthen is the example of a guy who uses his power, his influence and his wealth for the better, for the betterment of other people. And it's what makes him, I think so compelling as a character. The same thing with mommy Mothma. She is amazing in this show. And you realize why she is just so wholly qualified to become this central figure later on in star Wars canon. Well, Talk about mortgaging your future. She mortgaged her daughter. She mortgages everything. I mean, I mean she- that is, you know, her her arc in this season about, you know, it, it goes from I'm funneling money into something and she doesn't fully understand what it is. You know, after Aldani, she realizes, oh my gosh, I'm I'm funding violence. And Luthen's basically says, what did what did you think we were doing here? What yeah. did you think this is? And she's gone from like dipping a toe into the rebellion into fully embracing it by the end of the season because she has to she has to cover her debts the empire is starting to look into what she's been doing with her money and so she betrothes her daughter lita to the son of a gangster on her home world and so you know you talk about you know what am i what do you sacrifice you know that's what the, that's what the, the 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 isd double agent asks luthan you know what what do you sacrifice he says everything Mon Mothma is sacrificing everything, everything. Everything. And there's a lot of other elements of this that you realize, like a lot of these guys also have to make some really tough decisions and compromise their, their ethics and their morals. Like Luthen straight up, like he allows, what was it? Like 20 guys to get massacred. And he's like, yep. Hey, I'm really sorry. But like that raid has got to fail. They have to get killed. He knows Anton, like, Anton Krieger's the sacrificial lamb and he is a fat lamb. Yeah. Like we've got it. Like we've got to sacrifice these guys. It all happens off of camera, but you come to realize, and again, this is what gives lines in rogue one. This film augments rogue one. When Cassian says right before they launch the mission to Scarif, like m- many of us have done so many things that we're not proud of in service of this, this fight of this rebellion. And you realize that, like, while the rebels were always painted as these, you know, well-to-do, you know, like, squeaky clean good doers, they're not. Their hands are dirty. Like, they're compromised. They have done a lot of bad and shady stuff for the greater good, so to speak. But no one's clean in this fight. And No, suddenly you realize, like, I think we all saw how dirty Cash and Andor's hands were because that, that moment right at the beginning of Rogue One, where he, he caps his colleague to escape the, the stormtroopers, you know, that we suddenly think, oh, well, he's, he's, he's awful, right? He's, he's, he's dirty-handed, but everybody else is clean. But you're right. We're now seeing the dirt under everybody's fingernails. Like Mon Mothma, like the squeaky clean, wears white robes, every, you know, m- mother of the New Republic, 
literally gave her daughter away to birth the new Republic. You know, there's, they are, they are, they all have dirty, dirty hands in, in doing all of this. You're, you're so right. In the last Jedi, Benicio del Toro's character, when they, you know, they peel it back and he's like, you sell, you know, you sell weapons to the empire or to the first order. He's like, yeah. And I sell weapons to these guys. You know, it makes you realize there's a whole lot of gray in the Star Wars universe. And we were kind of trained to think in terms of like Jedi versus Sith. But there's a lot of gray. It's not all either really good or really bad. There's a lot of people that well, live in both of these worlds. And they, Let's stay on that line for a second. Sure. A, we, we, lo- we, we did an entire episode on conspiracy theories. We, lo- we love our conspiracy theories. There is a solid, I think an actual solid conspiracy theory that Luthen is a Jedi. So I don't doubt that. I mean, he has a kyber crystal. Um, it would be very interesting. And I, I did this. I actually did this. I'm outing myself here. I had to go into Rogue One and look because I, I know that the other person who wears a kyber crystal is Jin Erso. Hers is blue. It's cloudy blue. Whereas uh, Luthen's is clear that there's no pigment to it. So I don't think it's the same I don't think it's the same Kyber crystal. No, it's because her, no, her dad works with Kyber. Yes. Because Galen Urso is a, is a Kyber expert building the Death Star. So I, that was my first thing is I had to say like, is that Jin Urso's or is that going to fall into the hands of Galen? Is this going to be passed on to Jin? Cause how crazy would that be that that was Cassian once held that as collateral. And then later on it becomes the property of Jin Urso. Right. It's not, I don't think it is. But no. then I turned to like that conspiracy theory of Luthen being someone who was once force sensitive and then, of course, had to forego all of the training, had to forego all of that stuff because you can like it's not this is not the time to be a Jedi. And we've seen in Obi-Wan why that if you are a Jedi or if you're force sensitive or at least discovered to be force sensitive, you wind up on the radar of the Inquisitors. You wind up being hunted down and either converted or killed. So uh, I, I love that. And I've seen that conspiracy theory. He's he's way too skillful that I think he definitely has a connection to the force, but I don't think he's connected to the living force in any way whatsoever. I just, well, I, I think if he were properly trained, he could probably, he could do a little damage, but I don't think he's connected to the living force currently. Well, I will, but he could be, I mean, well, Obi-Wan cut himself off. So it's, it's a question of, is he, is he a former Jedi who's disconnected in order to hide? I don't think so. There, so. There's a, I, there's a, I think it was Screen Crush on, on YouTube that I saw this in. There was a really good video that broke it down. And there, there are a couple of clues that are interesting. One is he has that wooden staff that he takes in with him when he goes to see Saw Gerrera. Yeah, I saw that. And It looks like the hilt of a lightsaber. Mm-hmm. Is that a lightsaber? He's obviously, he's, he's obviously well-learned. He's got his special spaceship. He's very confident. He's robed up. Well, his ship is, has double lightsabers on it. It's got a technology. His ship we has the double blades. His antiquities shop is littered filled. with Jedi artifacts, including hiding in the back room. Like clearly, he's got he's got Jedi and Sith contraband. He's he's got he's got um uh what are the, why is my brain not putting the words together? The, I don't know the, what, they, what, the, what they what they hold 
the not the kyber crystals, although he wears holocrons? the kyber crystals because that was another egg. Thank you. He has he's got Jedi and he's got Jedi holocrons in, in in his back room. He's got the Jedi Temple Guard mask sitting up front. He's got Jedi or, or Sith armor sitting in the main lobby. Well, I mean, he's a historian. So, I mean, he... he... So he's a, yeah, he's a historian. And then it gives even more meaning to his monologue when he's speaking with the ISB agent when he says, I have to use the weapons of my enemy because he's talking about how he has to use the dark side. He has to, he has to fully embrace all of these, these cruel and selfish acts and sacrifice other people to make all of these things happen. I don't need it. I think I originally said, you know, you guys even said to me, you know, do you think Luthen's a Jedi? I said, I don't want him to be. I don't want and him to now, be. No, I don't. I wouldn't be mad at it. I don't want him to be because, again, I'm liking the fact that we haven't had a Force user. And I don't really want to have a Force user in this series. One of the things that frustrated me was when we did get that little Easter egg at the end of the series. I get it. Like you're you're going to have to butt this up to Rogue One in some way whatsoever, but I just I want them to rem- I want them to remove this as much as they can from the Skywalker saga. I really do. I want them to stay where we are in the galaxy. I want them to stay on the ground level. I like it that it's filmed in the streets, that it's really not going into the these temples and we haven't had a, a lightsaber. I would be a okay if this series concluded and not a single lightsaber blade gets ignited. I don't want to see a lightsaber blade in this. And so I don't care. I, I, I would if, if he's force sensitive, it makes his character even that more cool. And it just gives him a little bit uh like his bona fides become stronger. But as far as him wielding a lightsaber at some point or even using the force in some manner, like I'm wholly out for that. I don't want it at all. I I used to think I'd be against it. I don't think I'd mind anymore. I think especially if it was like saved up for one moment, like one unexpected payoff moment where you just suddenly go, Oh my gosh, he is. And then it went away like that. That would be, that would be pretty cool. Well, I mean like he's, he's a hell of a fighter. And I want to use that as an opportunity to talk about probably one of the coolest scenes we've ever got, which is um, his battle on the Fondor, the modified Fondor class ship of Luthans. It doesn't have a name. It's kind of like slave one is now renamed to like it's it's class right <laughs> so it's <laughs> fondor ship it's fondor modified class and he calls it the fondor like come on give it a give it a cooler call sign but that ship is one of the coolest elements of this show but in star wars canon like that thing is amazing well and the the modified star destroyer that he runs from which is apparently from unused production drawings um, like it's a spe- it's a specialized ship. Um, that whole sequence was great. We got Tie Fighters. We got we 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 got new weapons. We got him as a starfighter. Like the whole the whole thing just really worked and was really exciting. And it was cool because we haven't throughout much of the rest of the show we haven't gotten space no. battles. We haven't gotten starships. So I you we're we are non toxic. And what's so funny to me is people always complain about everything. There was an element, believe it or not, after that scene that people complained about the new arsenal or the new weaponry that was used, specifically the one that was used and deployed to take out the tractor beam. That they're like, how many Star Wars projects have we had? How many times have we seen a tractor beam in use? 
None of that was ever deployed. None of those countermeasures were ever deployed. And what was so interesting, and this got me thinking, and I don't know if you've thought this this far of this yet, but that that Imperial Starship used a, a very vulnerable uh, tractor beam. And so most of the tractor beams that we have seen in use of the later Star Wars saga have always been decidedly behind what? A shield, correct? And you think to yourself, I wonder if the whole reason why most of the tractor beam devices are now shielded is because this guy, very simply with the flick of a wrist, used projectiles and just took out the tractor beam... <laughs> That maybe the, you know, maybe there's a report that's filed with the Imperial Navy and they say, hey, listen, we've got to do a better job of protecting this asset in the future because here's just some dude with a random starship. We don't even know who this guy is. And he took this thing out like in like five seconds time. But I love the fact that this is this is maybe a very primitive look at the development of the Imperial fleet. And so you're they, telling me it's not it's not Ben Kenobi and his sacrifice that helped the Millennium Falcon escape. It was uh, <laughs> administrative paperwork following an, an incident involving Luthen Rail. Well, I mean, but you think of think of that mission though. It now it now makes that mission all the more cool to me because instead of them being able to deploy just some like simple countermeasure to escape the tractor beam on the Death Star they have to go in and they have to dis they have to dismantle it from the inside they have to cut the power source because it's not an easy system to just kind of like circumvent luthen just basically deploys these countermeasures and like eviscerates the satellite dish that's being well, used and, and not every ship has countermeasures i mean the like i i enjoy that you have taken it i go to the nth degree with some level yeah. deep yeah that's 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 some deep in the Jedi tomes, like that's that's the sacred Jedi text. But isn't that what's isn't that what this has always been about for us? Is oh, absolutely. Are those yeah, are those that's, moments? That's deep. Where do you, um, where do you put that scene on turn? Okay, because I know where you're at. Like, uh, let me get inside the head of Michael Ruby for a second. Return of the Jedi, number one, space battle wise. I'm gonna go with Scarif. Right below that, for you. I don't know if I'm 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 right. Uh, the 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 Return of Skywalker, the Rise of Skywalker. Uh, that's probably at the bottom. So I'm gonna put this at third for you in terms of of space battles. I maybe maybe right below New Hope trench scene. It's up. It's up there. I mean, it's no. It's no. It's no trench run. I mean, it's okay. a. It's a short. It is a short dogfight. I okay. mean, I, I would, you know, there's, there's probably some, some Mando stuff that's even been a bit more rocking, but like, that's not what this was about. So, but this, this ranks way up there is just a way cool scene that made him. I honestly, as, as silly as it sounds, like his tech just made Luthen that much cooler too. That it's like this guy has got so much going on. He's got a lot of money. Um, he can buy really nice toys. Yeah. Where does he get those wonderful toys? <laughs> Let's talk about the namesake of the show. Um, you know, it's it's so interesting. You know, we, we've spent a massive chunk of this talking about everyone except Cash and Andor, which I think is why this show has worked so well is because it hasn't just been... It's been all about him, and at the same time, it hasn't been all about him. His turn to the rebellion is 
really interesting to see, like, uh, you know, how he goes from being selfish to being selfless and committing to the cause. Um, and interesting how it's his time in prison on Narkina 5 and reading the manifesto from Nemec and really starting to understand what these people are doing. And then his, you know, his mother Marva as well, you know, calling everyone to arms at her funeral. He, he takes it on where it's, you know, it's literally the last thing in the show is where, you know, he, he puts himself in front of Luthen and leaves his weapon on the, on the counter and says to Luthen, kill me or take me in. Yeah. Like he's, he is literally, he is me. He is making the ultimate sacrifice to the cause. He's saying, I am all in to do this. Make me your instrument or leave me behind. But there's no in between anymore. Whereas at the beginning of the show, it was, I'm all about finding my sister who he's never going to find. And I know some people have been complaining that that was a dead end plot point, but I don't think it really matters. I think that's, it just was kind of, She's not, I don't, I don't think that's going to matter in the long run, but it starts about him being all about, I have to get money. I have to get me and Marva out of here. Like he's just very myopic, not recognizing the ramifications of his actions because they led to all of those things happening to Bix, all these things happening to his friends to at the end. He is, he is so selfless in that. I, I have to take this down. Yeah. Uh, again, I went down another rabbit hole here. <laughs> oh, here we go. So I don't know if you've ever seen the costume. I, I We had a lot of Rogue One rewatches in the last few weeks. There's uh, some speculation that the costume, and there's no way that this could be true, right? This is just me doing. But the costume from Rogue One, he is wearing a book that's over, I think, on his left or his right-hand shoulder. That's kind of just a part of his costume. Like me selfishly hoping that that's the manifesto that is just. Oh, you think he's carrying Farrick's rebellion manifesto with how, him wherever he goes? How great would that be if that's the manifesto that sits over his heart and sits over his shoulder from the Rogue One costume? I hope and pray that that is intentional and that's not just me like, and that's not wishful thinking. Because I do, I do think that that would be great that here's a guy who, as he's sitting in prison, spends some time with this manifesto and really becomes a devout convert, realizing like his run in with the, the, uh, Imperial prison industrial complex, him seeing the suffering of all of these people and the wrongful convictions and just the abuses of the empire and the influence of Marva and seeing his friends suffer at the hands of this, this machine like Bix I would love to see him be so converted by it that he's just got the, the tenets of the faith sort of like he's wearing well, them. the fabric of him, of him. Now I, I believe that the go do a search, very, go look up, go look up rogue one. I will. I believe that the, uh, I mean, the other thing that's really interesting about him is they, it's a little heavy handed, but I don't mind it that there is so much foreshadowing with the way that Andor is portrayed through the show at key moments. So, you know, for example, 
he when he and Melshi escape and they they end up going back to space florida so that he could pick up his money and he gives he gives some money to melshi and melshi goes off to join the rebellion uh-huh. and the two of them are kind of framed on the beach having their rocky three moment where it's like bro i love you um it's very much like the way he and Jin get framed up at the end of rogue one and so here it's like we are going off to join this rebellion and yeah. we, here we are standing on the beach and they are both gonna die on the beaches of scarif um further yeah that wasn't lost on me either that symbolism wasn't lost on me further echoed in the fact that he helped build the tool of his destruction which we've been talking about so when he's in prison this prison industrial complex he is working alongside all these people who are making component parts for we, we don't know what it's it's just like they're on an assembly line they don't know what they're making but they're making these pieces and the post credit scene reveals that they are making components for the the deflector dish you know or the or the 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 main dish of the death star so he's he's quite literally building the instrument of his own death i want to say this right now because i mean we've like now that we're actually talking about the the post credit scene and that you get to see the death star so i we know that we're five years before the battle of yavin it tells us that at the outset of the show we know what the timeline looks like but I didn't like that because if only if only that moment, I think it hastened for us how little time we have left with Cassian. That if they're already building that deflector dish and that it, what it appears is like moving at a breakneck pace, I have always wanted to imagine that Andor had spent more time in the service of the Rebellion than, than what we're going to get in actuality. So that imagery for me makes me realize how little time we have left in, in the life of, of Cassian Andor. We don't know how long he was in Narkina. We don't know how much time has elapsed. I'm, I'm assuming it's a few months and not a it's, few months. Yeah, it's not long. You know, by, by the time he gets out, you know, Deidre is still hot on his trail. Luthen hasn't got Luthen and Mon Mothma haven't gotten that far. I mean, it's, it's obvious that he's been there for several cycles, but it's not... I just it's didn't, not so yeah. long that yeah no I mean and they're talking about what the timeline is going to be going forward so you know it makes sense you know they're in their you know they're in the last you know if this is five years before Battle of Yavin you know so he's got a solid three and a half years it's not much but serving in about this is going to fit that well that escalated quickly kind of <laughs> well but that's but that's but that's what it is for the entire rebellion right Correct. I mean there's there's yes. been you know the and and it's as quick escalation on both sides right so there's been 20 years between um revenge of the sith and new hope and in that time we've seen that the empire becomes more and more oppressive but it's really only in these last 5 years where they start cracking down. He dissolves the he dissolves the Senate well, Saul, right before the Battle of Yavin. Saul's going to have know, a, they, a bad few years too. Let's just say this: Saul, Saul looked a lot better in this project than he does when we see him on Jeddah the next time around. Oh, that's for sure. No, they are, this is this is the beginning of the true rebellion. And you got to remember, you know, the rebellion is going to get their butts kicked for the next three and a half years. The 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 crawl says at the beginning of New Hope that. 
the rebellion has just scored their first major victory. So they're going to keep taking Aldani style pot shots at the, at the, the empire, but they're, they're not going to do any significant damage again. Like the, 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 the uprising on Ferex is like the first really big moment after Aldani, but make no mistake. There is nothing remotely near the impact of Scarif for the next three and a half years, which is the first time that all of these disparate cells that Luthen has quite literally been at the axis of, so where they are actually going to come together and do anything of any significance, which is then made even more significant when they destroy the Death Star a couple of days, a week later, however long that span of time is in A New Hope. Let's talk about that, though, because Ferrix, I think, what made that scene... And that storyline so compelling for me was the realization that no matter how much the Empire tries, they're never going to be able to fully get people to submit. And Marva's speech was another beautiful moment in the canon of Star Wars. Um, and the fun fact of that was is the script was actually changed too, where she says, fight the Empire. It was supposed to be an expletive. It was supposed to actually be F the Empire. And then they they took it out. They recut it. That the... Uh, the writer director wanted it to be an f bomb that was dropped, and they and they obviously decided to keep it a lot more clean. I don't like the f word being used there, but that Marva speech was pretty powerful. But it was also the realization for me, and I I channeled my Leia Organa where she says to Tarkin, "The more you tighten your grip, the more star systems will just slip through your fingers." That, to me, was another validating moment for a future line and a future concept in the Star Wars universe. The Empire is going to lose. They are destined to lose. No matter what they do, no matter how much they tighten their grip, no matter what kind of weaponry they devise, people will always resist this level of control. They will never win. And Ferrix is the first, I think, breakthrough in that moment for the people of the galaxy to realize, don't submit. Don't just give in to this unjust group of fascists who would like who would take away your freedom who would take away your autonomy who would trample all over your planet's sovereignty like fight resist and i loved that moment it was just such a great moment and message for what i think star wars is about that it goes beyond people with certain color laser swords fighting against others the story is always, it was a hero's journey, but it's all, I think there, there is a narrative to be had about power and diplomacy and sovereignty. It was a beautiful moment, dude. Did I overthink it? I don't think so. I, I it's all, it's also straight from the, the, the Nemec manifesto. So Nemec specifically says that when they, when they're playing his voiceover as, uh, and or is, is reading or listening to the audio version of, the Nemec Manifesto. <laughs> yeah, the audio where book. Nemec, where N- Nemec, it's the audible version. You know, Nemec is talking about, you know, it's the dark side is is unnatural. You know, that the the, the oppressive ways and the, the restriction of, of free will and freedom is ultimately unnatural and is not a system that can that can continue. And so it, it, it naturally, he says, you know, it's naturally going to slide towards rebellion, which when you think about it, you know, you said it's going to move very, very quickly. It's it's actually probably less believable that it moves that quickly when you look at, you know, human society. There, there are plenty of repressive governments on the planet that, you know, go on for years and years and years 
before there's any significant uprising in any way to escape. So if they're able to, if they're able to mobilize an entire galaxy in three and a half years, like that's a pretty efficient and effective rebellion. I mean, you know, think, think about the, you know, if we, if we equate the rebels to the, uh, you know, to the, the, the U S and the original colonies being able to bring the 13 colonies together to, to mobilize, like, but you that, can, that, that as well took a long time. Yeah, but you can also see in Rogue One what's so great about the Battle of Scarif is, I mean, that was an ad hoc invasion. There was nothing planned about that. And, like, Mommy Mothma did not want that to take place. She was like, no, Scarif is not where we're going to let... We're not going to draw the line at Scarif. Like, that's not going to be where it is. And then those guys launched that wayward mission. Well, and you have, a, no, you have the contingency within that group that are like, we're going. Like, I'm on my way. Like Admiral Raff well, is like, I think, I'm no, on my way. No, she, I think she, wa- she wanted to go. I think she, she read the room and decided not to, but the second that she learns they're gone is the moment where she is smiling and walking the halls with Bail Organa. And they are, they're, they're both secretly, not so secretly excited that this has happened. They've been ready for this to happen. And that's when she's, she's like, we're gonna have to, you know. She basically, <laughs> Leroy. Jenkins. At least they have chicken, <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> like they're, um, they're and going, you have, and you have going, C-3PO who's like crushing the odds of the raiding party. He's like, um, we've been doing the uh, calculations, and it's a thirty-three point three uh, repeating, of course, chance of survival. <laughs> yeah, and, and at which point. Organa slaps and says, never tell me the odds. And Andor, you know, and and meanwhile, Andor's like, all right, lads, let's do this. Leroy Jenkins. Oh, my God, he just went in. <laughs> oh, oh, Leroy, you idiot. He goes into the, the shield. But the, it's kind and of blue, blue squad. Blue Squadron's got to reluctantly follow. It's like, all right, go, let's go. Like, we go what are we going to do? We have no chance here. So yeah, that, exactly. I just As, like, like half I love of the squadron it. doesn't actually get through the deflector shield, but like they, their hands get forced because there are people who are are kind of sitting on the fence. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's dude. How do we watch Star Wars after this? I, I don't know, man. I keep thinking about it. It's like what you said earlier about like, is you know, is this better than Mando? It's like how do yes. you how do you watch Mando season three after this? And how, how do you reconvince yourself? that they are two very different types of shows within the same universe. Like, I think that's what's so interesting and so rare about this is that typically when you watch shows that spin off from one another, they share an aesthetic, right? They share a certain thing about them. Like Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul are two very different shows with shared universe and shared characters but there are still there's still some tonal influences that remain the same. Certainly, Correct. that's the same with 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 Game of Thrones and and the new series that spun off House of Dragon. Like oh. that's very connected. Like, get me started. This on is going to be one it. of those rare things where we now have very different genres within here. And I think Marvel tried to do this and it ended up slipping away. Like for a while, Marvel was exciting because it was like, like Ant-Man was going to be, that was the heist comedy film. Like one of the reasons that I love Ant-Man is that Ant-Man is actually very tonally different from everything that came before it. Yeah. And then over time, it's all become homogenized. And so it's like, we somehow need to take off 
our Andor caps and say it's okay to enjoy this other thing and not compare them. Yeah. We have to, we have to, you know, it's, it's not just about being not toxic about it. It's that we have to actively say, let's go enjoy this thing for what it is because it's a very different type of show and it's all still good. Well, the one thing I will say though, is the Mandalorian is just getting better and better and better. And the Mandoverse, it, they know what they're doing with that. And I have a sneaking suspicion that the Mandoverse is going to wind up being a way for Dave Filoni to get the Rebels on screen in live action. And I think that the Mandoverse is eventually diverting towards the stuff that he had in Rebels and the stuff that you see in the latter part of, of the Clone Wars. And I would be fine with that. Like, I would be A-OK with that because watching The Mandalorian is... It's different. You're right. It's totally, it's different. But that's a show that I think they started, season one and season two of that show are totally very different. But where I see The Mandalorian going is exciting to me. And it's a different, it's apples and oranges. I agree. But damn it, I love this show. I love this show. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think what I'm hopeful for is that this at least has set the bar. Right? So how many seasons of this this do we have? Two. So let me, let me, I'll come back to that. I, what I, just to kind of finish that thought, what I do hope from this in terms of how we watch Star Wars shows is that it sets the bar in terms of quality and that they realize you can take your time, you can build the characters, because you're right, Mando Season 2 is a bit different because they, they've built the foundation. We know the characters. We care about Grogu and Din Djarin together. Like, the emotional payoff of Season 2 is real because we had... We've now had 12 episodes, right? You had the first season and the second season. So I'm hoping that this says that anything after Mando season three that's live action, they are going to continue to say, do it right. They're not going to, you know, Boba Fett was a wonderful gift for some of the stuff they did, but let's not rush it. Let's not make it all a water cooler show. Same thing as Kenobi as much as Correct. I love Obi-Wan. But let's let's have faith and take the time and invest in it the way that they invested in Andor. 1,000% to piggyback off of that. What I said of projects like Boba Fett and Obi-Wan, I didn't have any problems with the story that was being told, but I felt that them shoehorning it into six-episode seasons was them rushing the storytelling and limiting what they could do because they said, we only have X amount of time. And there was a lot of narrative and stuff that we had to inevitably sacrifice and just assume and move on too quick. Lest we forget, and I want to say this, I think one of the credits that we are not giving to Andor was we got 12 episodes from this show and it allowed the storytellers to take their time to tell the story the way they wanted to. Mr. Iger, Miss Kennedy, with all due respect, and I know nothing, and I'm a fan. I don't see what goes into producing all of this, but I can tell you 12 is better than 6, is greater than 6. And I think that this show shows you the merits of that. Now, that said, I'm not paying the bills to create well, 6 extra well, episodes but, of content. Well, but it, well, it, it's just the length of content. You know, it, it's... it's I, I think the number of episodes when you have to, like make all of that stuff and then cut it up. I, I, I would actually argue you said, you know, 12 is greater than six. I think in the case of Andor, 10 might've been greater than 12. 
I, I still think that those first three episodes were funky. The first got, three were it was really hard to get into. The first like, three were funky. They were great. But, yeah, but they were great, and they did. And again, they should have just cut them together, off, right? But they they should have just done them together, and I think that it would it would have been smoother. Regardless, that first episode should have been an hour and a half long. So I, I think this is also a lesson in like where do you spend your money? So to your point about, you know, I don't know what it, you know, we don't know what it costs and how they're putting this thing together. I think what's really interesting in this is that they had more episodes in those other seasons, but they spent their money in different places. This show had more practical effects. It had more practical sets. It and I love the volume. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I think one of the I think the volume and the way that they've used it on on the Mandalorian is is it's absolutely breathtaking and breakthrough and innovative. But I think that you know if you cut back on when and where you have the action and pace it the right way. This has shown that, you know, yes, we invested in a bigger cast. We invested in more live sets. We did more of this practical things, but they didn't, they didn't go spend all, they, you know, it was like, where did you spend the money and where did you get the impact? And I think Mando is probably of all these series, the one that has the best investment of character versus action and having them all pay off together. Yeah. But this is where, you know, I think they invested in story in select episodes of Boba Fett and select episodes of, of Kenobi, and it played off well. And if only they had maybe taken a little bit less of that money and invested more in some of the character development. Like, again, when I, when I look at um, when I look at Obi-Wan and think of, you know, the 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 sister. Yeah. Like what? Sorry. What's 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 the the main character's name? Because it's escaping me, and I'm a terrible Star Wars fan right now. In Obi Wan. Yeah. How have I forgotten her name so quickly? The the Inquisitor. Reva. Reva. Thank. There we oh, go. Oh, I didn't know. So, who, you said sister, and I was like, I don't know who we're talking about. I and then it realized. Well, she was. In, she was. In, she was Inquisitor. So like. Yes. If if Reva's if Reva's story could have played out in the way that like, oh my gosh, the way they built Deidre Miro, yeah, as the the ISB agent when she has a total breakdown and freakout, and it's the first time that they've ever actually humanized a member of the Empire when Cyril when Cyril the Psycho saves her. That's a lot of alliteration. Too. <laughs> when when you know when Stalker Cyril. <laughs> saves her life. I don't know if it, it was very stalkery, but but that was they had a moment. But Those they had, but the she air. had a real moment yeah. where she she was petrified for her life, and she realizes that he saved her. And I love I love where oh I love the the, the, the line back from was perfect. He was like she said you know I should probably thank you, and he goes but you don't have to. I was like wow. It was like it was the Batman moment. Yeah. It was it, it, it was it was like it was like I haven't said thank you, <laughs> and you'll never have to. Cyril's not the Imperial that we deserve that we need, but he's the Imperial that we deserve. <laughs> right. Um, I wish they could have built in the same way, but in terms of like, where's you? You asked how many seasons are we getting? So it was it was five that became three, and now to my understanding, it's two. I think it's two and, because no one watched it. No, I don't think it's two because no one watched. It. I think they actually cut it down before that. They they there was a uh, a recent article with with Tony Gilroy about it. They, well, I mean, Disney Plus is also having a lot of 
financial woes right now. So I'm wondering if that's going to factor in. They'll get by. It's Disney. It, it is, but there's a lot of financial stuff that like we're, we're not a Disney podcast, but there's also a lot of financial stuff that I think is going to come out in the coming weeks. Yeah. Uh, that Dis- Disney's, in a, Disney's in a lot more creative but, of a hole than they're letting on right now. Yeah. But th- there's a great interview with, with, with Tony Gilroy about what, what's to come. And so there, there are going to, there's going to be some, uh, in the words of Poe Dameron, there's going to be some light speed skipping. They're going to be doing some jumping around in years in season two. So I'm fine with we that. are going. I'm, to, I'm fine with the time jump in for season. Yeah, two. we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna get a time jump between now and what's next in season two, and then there are going to be multiple time jumps even within season two of Andor, so that it ultimately then leads up to. Uh, yeah, they wanted to. Scarif. They wanted to bookend with Rogue One. So it's ultimate. It's ultimately going to bookend there. So we're going to get a big jump between now and wherever we end up. Hopefully we get a bunch of these characters back. Do you think we get Jin Erso in, in this? I don't think so. I don't think I mean, so either. She's no, on... I mean, the whole point is that the whole point is she's off hiding with, with Galen and her mom. And then she ends up getting introduced into the fray and she, who I do think we'll get, or I hope we get. And, um, Brian's talked about this too, is that we, we really hope we get the introduction of, uh, K2 and that we, we actually see, I mean, you have to, yeah, so you have I to mean, get like that that's, that's got to happen. Maybe we end up seeing the battle where Saul Guerrero ends up getting, uh, getting brutally injured. Maybe we see Melshi reunited with, with Andor. We've obviously got to see what happens to Luthen, like, does Luthen survive this show? Does he? Because obviously we don't see him elsewhere. We've got to see the rise of Mon Mothma. Maybe we see some of the other leaders who are on Yavin in Rogue One and see some of them coming up through the ranks. Like there's that. There's the dude with the flavor saver beard, and there's the the <laughs> there's the uh, the the, the African American woman with the with the really great braids. Like they were all standing around the table, yeah. arguing. Maybe we get a little bit of General Radis. Maybe we get some. Maybe we end up getting some cameos from the rebels, folks. You know, because you've got the folks off on Lothal. Who knows? You know, I mean, the way they're playing out Ahsoka. You know, I doubt they'll bring her in, but she's there. She's helping to build the rebellion. Like, there's. I would like to see see Bail Organa, pop his, you know, show his face for at least one scene, somewhere. But I, I, this show has shown me that like it's better to not even try making a play call on like what to expect because there were, there was no way you could have predicted Aldani. There was no way you could have predicted Narkina five. You might've predicted something kind of like the Ferrex uprising, Yeah, but this is, and they've got to pay off, you know, the, uh, the galaxy's greatest love story of Cyril and, and, and (laughs) Deepa. I, yeah, the, Yes, we so much more to talk about with season two, man. I can't wait to podcast more about this, but this was fun. We're we're running on the longer side, man. So uh, I know we are. Yeah, this is. But that, that that's what happens when you do long form storytelling. You get long form episodes of Babu's freaking podcast. It's very, it's very, very true. Uh, stay so, tuned in the coming weeks. Uh, Brian again is off world for a while, but we've got a lot of Star Wars that we have to talk about. Of course, the Bad Batch will be returning for season two, along with a lot of other stuff, man. I just can't wait to talk more Star Wars. 
we we do need to do a Rogue One episode, but I feel like that's one that we have to wait for Brian, uh, f- for Brian. For yeah, but there's that's that's coming up high on the list. Brian and I also last episode talked about doing a uh, a Star Wars dialogue episode, given the Shakespearean uh, soliloquy that we got from from Luthen Rail. What an incredible so, smell you've discovered! I like that idea. So that's that's all coming. So if if you liked what you heard, if you liked the the uh, the extended episode here for our extended indoor season, um, make sure you like, share, subscribe. I, I repeat always the sharing. Sharing is caring. Um, and uh, a, a belated happy life day to you, Mark. A belated happy life yes. day to our audiences. We hope that you all enjoyed your tip yip and that you cleaned the the, uh, the stormtroopers off the lawn after dinner. If you don't know what I'm talking about, go back and listen to our Star Wars holiday episode from last year. And uh, until next time, may the Force be with you. Always. <laughs>